1: Welcome in Hysteria Nation to a very easy edition of Hysteria 51. That's because I got the week off. John's got the week off. The bots got the week off. Lisa doesn't have to do jack crap. It's because we're handing the keys over to the boys from the north of us. The alien theorists theorizing. It's a very special week because they are doing an episode on our feed and we are doing one on theirs. So make sure... You do two things. Number one, you listen here, you check them out. Then afterwards you go and you subscribe to alien theorists theorizing. I'm going to have links in the show notes where you can find them, all of their goodies, all that stuff. They're a blast. We've, we've done this before with them. We've done crossovers on Patreon. And if you guys remember when we were out in LA for alien con, they were there as well. We did a live meet and greet with them at the scum and villainy Cantina, It was a fucking blast. So they're, they're excellent. And they, they're like us, they have fun. They make jokes. They talk about nonsense and have a blast this week though. They are covering the Cisco UFO encounter. So if you're not familiar, the story goes something like this As a little teaser to get you guys ready. In the fall of 1964, an event that has been described as stranger than fiction took place in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountain range in the Tahoe National Forest. inner 26-year-old Donald Shrum, S-H-R-U-M, Shrum, for those playing at home, uh, who planned to enjoy a relaxing weekend bow hunting for deer. Shrum entered the forest joking and laughing with his two hunting buddies with zero inclination that shortly thereafter, He would be locked in the midst of a terrifying 12-hour struggle with, wait for it, alien forces. Armed with only his wits and uh, his uh, Hawkeye cosplay shit, his bow and arrow, Trump poured out every ounce of his strength in an all-night battle against these would-be probers that seemed bent on overtaking him and carrying him away for a fate worse than death. It's actually a really crazy story. I think you guys are going to like it. They do an awesome job telling it. And it's kind of an interesting case because this guy was, he had classified clearance. So for a long time, the story was out there. They didn't say who he was. So that kind of came to light years later. And it's been called, here's a quote, the most spectacular report we have ever examined. By Coral Lorenzen of the Aerial Phenomena Investigation Committee, or APRO. We've talked about them a thousand times on here. And also, Paul Cerny of MUFON, Mutual UFO Network, said, There is absolutely no doubt in my mind that this incident is factual and authentic. I've spent considerable time, plus many visits to the main witness. And along with the testimony of the other witnesses, I can rule out any possibility of a hoax. Sit back, relax, crack open a beer, or if you're at work, well, I mean, if you can crack up on a of beer there too and enjoy the Alien Theorist Theorizing this week doing our show for us because, you know, yeah, it's Lazy Week here on H51. In 1964,
2: then 26-year-old Donald Trump with two of his close friends, traveled up into the Sierra Nevada mountain range of northeastern California. Known to history as Gold Country, the mountains not only possess rich mineral variety, but also boast an impressive abundance of plant and animal life. Shrum and his companions were said to participate in a leisurely weekend of bow hunting among the pristine forests and rugged ridges set within the Tahoe National Park. Shrum had no idea that on this trip, he would have an experience that would fill his nightmares for years. An experience that would stay locked within the files of official UFO investigators until finally brought to light in 2005. This case file joined the theorists as they talk about archery and shaft work in The Cisco UFO Encounter.
3: Welcome to Alien Theorist Theorizing Case File 212, The Cisco Grove
4: UFO. I'm Braden. I'm Zill. I'm Dan. And I'm Andrew in a little box. (laughs) Yeah, but stuck (laughs) in the studio box
5: because BC is flooding, breaking, it's been burning. This place is fucked.
3: End times, baby. End times. It's. Yeah, if you're listening to this, we're a little late tonight. And to be honest, at any point in time, it feels like, you know, the the cracks of hell might open up and just swallow us all at this point. BC, like Zell said, is under a state of emergency. Basically, all our major highways have catastrophic damage from mudslides and excessive rain. Hundreds and hundreds of people are trapped on highways. Uh, cities are completely; multiple cities are completely flooded to the point where everyone has to evacuate. Uh, it's it's absolutely wild. insane,
4: dude. Portions of the highway, like in the Cokahel, have just disappeared. Yeah, they like no longer exist. Just washed right out. Gone. It's, oh,
3: it's it's Fox. wild because I was on the roads yesterday and literally just missed catastrophe after catastrophe and just s- s- snuck by and got home like they were, literally, the of the storm. they were literally there was like a mudslide, <laughs> a tidal mud pool just following us so basically because this, everywhere we went, me and Miss Conspiracy flooded immediately after we left well it's funny like we, we were we were sitting you were the heralds you were the heralds of destruction two of the four horsemen yeah. well, yeah, roll okay. through. well
5: it's, dude it's funny we were at cosmic channels and we're, people are like where's Brain? I was like well he's probably buried
4: but know, it was, it <laughs> zell's like where's Brain. uh <laughs> oh, dead and i'm like well just relax wait, i mean wait, like wait, we should say, so there's a yeah. fucking chance <laughs> he's dead maybe. yeah I, could be that joke might get old real quick yeah this is
3: how close uh, at one point, there was a mudslide ahead of us. We had already got detoured from one. We'd already crossed a bridge that an hour later was completely wiped out. Um, we we're sitting in Princeton, waiting for a highway update to see if we'd be able to sneak through a detour. Uh, we we're eating at this pub, and uh, we got the green light, being like, "Yo, highway is open. You, there's a detour. You like, you basically got to go right now. Um, the weather's looking bad, so go before they shut it down." We left. An hour after we left, the whole city of Princeton was flooded and that bar was underwater that we were at. Like an hour after that we were there. That is so fucked. That's right. so insane. Crazy. If we Goddamn would have waited 45 world. more minutes, we wouldn't have had to pay. <laughs>
4: <laughs> For anything ever again because you'd be dead.
5: <laughs> no, but we made it and we thought even today then the power was going out in West Kelowna and we're like, okay, well maybe the podcast might just be over. But... Andrew braved a dark, lightless ride over the bridge and he's, we put him in the studio closet and he's here.
4: Boys, it, the power's been out at my place since what, two? When did we, or three? When did we hop on? Three, to o'clock. Do yeah.
3: Yeah, like, three o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. Three o'clock.
4: Yeah. Just gone. Fucking disappeared.
3: It, it's going to get interesting in British Columbia because all roads out of the lower mainland of Vancouver, all major highways. Gone. Like I said, catastrophic damage. Like multiple mudslides, bridges gone. and we're already in a supply shock and there is now no way for goods to get from Vancouver to anywhere else in BC or Western Canada. No, no big, be- no big deal. Just our main port.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so frustrating.
3: <laughs> the only port in BC. <laughs> Having said that I'm okay on Vancouver Island. So maybe, you know, for now, maybe I can send you guys yeah. some Mr. Noodles or something when you need it. <laughs> I wouldn't. Yeah. I'll FedEx you some <laughs> Mr. Noodles. <laughs>
5: Yeah, you can only fly shit here. So anyways, we'll uh, we'll keep you updated as the storm um, continues.
3: And I also, before we get going, I got to give it up to Dan for finding this one. This case file <laughs> we're about to talk to is fucking wild, man. It is great. Like, might be one of the best single accounts uh, of a UFO encounter.
4: Wow, when you say best, you mean like most entertaining. Detailed yes. one-on-one yeah. Yeah. encounter. The,
2: the best singular account of a ufo encounter it is yeah i will agree i'm 100% agreeing with brain this is a suit this is a very very uh or an absolute gem of a case file that <laughs> i found this uh you know uh scouring around uh for case files as i normally do so um like we said before, this one's uh, usually referred to as the Cisco Grove UFO encounter. And uh, most of the information comes directly from the source. And uh, it was uh, a lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about. It comes from the book, if you want to pick it up, uh, uh, The Aliens in the Forest, the Cisco UFO encounter by Noe Torres and Ruben Uriarte. And it was published in 2011. Uh, this actual story didn't really gain a lot of traction until the early 2000s, even though that the events uh, that are described in the book took place in 1964. And the primary person uh, that, that had the encounter, uh, Donald Shrum, uh, who w- when he... <laughs> When he came out and talked about this and wanted to put the story down into a book, um, he was 73 at the time. So 2011.
3: When, and honestly, like, I think his name should be when you think UFO encounter and abduction or anything like that, you should be thinking Donnie Shrum before you think of Travis Walton. 100%. Uh, you know, he should. This guy should be up there with Betty and Barney Hill. Well, didn't, they, like, didn't, they didn't they make a movie about this guy? Didn't
4: they make a movie about this guy? I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty positive fucking this is the basis for Predator.
6: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is it not? Or
4: Rainbow it's, 2. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: mean, yes. you're it's, not far off. It's like, not far off. So like I said, the the whole event, series of events starts in 1964 and it takes place in the uh, rugged foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains in the Tahoe National Forest of Northe- Northeastern California. Now um, not Bigfoot
3: Country.
2: So yeah. Northeast, um, yeah.
3: Oh, dude, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Bigfoot Country for sure. Yes, it is. Okay. Also,
2: yeah. Also known for that's where you get the uh, Sierra Sounds, I believe. Like that took place in the Sierra Nevada as well. Uh now, so Friday, September 4th, uh Donald Shrum and two of his friends uh took a trip out to a hunting trip out into um, these mountains. So they made camp about three miles south of Route 40 near one of three small lakes that were in the area. And I believe like so rifle hunting season had opened up and they were going to go hunting. So they had taken their bows with them. It's bow season.
3: season. So usually like two weeks before something, they have a special time that's just for uh, bow hunters and junior hunters to go out. So these guys were definitely taking advantage of the open bow season. Which is a hard, which is a hard
4: hunt, man. Well, but these guys like, are seasoned vets, though, man. Like you talk about the equipment they brought with them; they were bringing hire- harnesses so they could sleep in the fucking trees if they had to. Not fucking around. No, man. Like these guys are like we're we talking about this is some predator shit.
3: Well, you, you, I think too. It's it's not necessarily just to sleep in the trees. I heard lots of lots of people talk about that. And, oh yeah, belts to sleep in the trees, that and that. But it's also like, dude, bow hunting is super hard because you can't. It's like, you know, you got to basically surprise uh, the the deer, right? You have to get a jump on them, be close enough that the bow is effective. Um, so that's an old style method. Uh, old style method of uh, like a tree blind too. You can you can climb up and you have that, and so you can prop yourself up in a, almost in a tree blind. So when you're sitting up there for a long period of time, you, what you're hoping is that a deer comes underneath you. And you get a nice shot at the right? top of
5: the skull
4: from the, yeah. Top of the skull from above it. Um, you I know, mean, how far like away nowadays, do you think you have to be to make it both as effective as a rifle, right? Like you could probably be like fucking 10 feet away from that thing and it's still going to work like a gun. Oh, yeah, you could yeah. be, no, no, if, they could, well, I mean, about I'm not sure about, I'm not
5: sure about their bows that they brought, but like one of those new like modern compound hunting
4: bows. Yeah. Well, this is the '60s. I don't think they had compound bows back there then. There uh, a
2: the specific bows that they're using. I believe are six sixty pound uh, recurve Probably. bows. Yeah. Also, so, so like, honestly, fucking Robin Hood shit. It, it,
3: yeah. You. Yeah. It's a good bow, but like I said, like nowadays we don't. We you wouldn't use those belts because you like. There's like tree designs where you can basically like prop up a chair so you can sit comfortably in the tree. But I imagine back in the '60s, like that's what you would do. So I don't. When, when I was reading a lot about this, like, oh, they brought belts to sleep in trees. I'm like, no, that sounds like people who don't know what the fuck never gone for a hunt, especially a bow hunt. Like I would imagine that those belts were primarily used. So when you climb a tree, you would sit there like propped for a bow hunt, not to sleep in a tree. It was more of a, like you were using it as a tree blind or a tree stand. Well, we have, but we have better
4: stuff now. I don't know, no, man. I'm getting my, I'm hearing all this like wise hunting fucking information from a guy that just went out for a week and didn't get shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: this
5: true, is right? but, that's all I'm hearing. This is true. Fair. And he has, and he had a rifle. So, yeah.
2: So now they were getting ready for their evening hunt. And I don't think necessarily that they were planning on sleeping uh, overnight or anybody was planning to spend the night in a tree at this point. They were all kind of going out. Um, uh, They were trying to stay within earshot of each other within visual, you know, visual range of each other. And uh, so uh, Donald said that he went down one ridge and another friend went down uh, to the canyon bottom while the other went down the other ridge. And they didn't have walkie talkies with them at the time. Um, So they didn't really have any other means of communication except, you know, pretty much like whistling and and trying to keep each other in sight. But they did Um, have
3: a they had a plan in case of. You know, in case like these guys were seasons because they had a safety plan in place of if someone got lost, uh, there would be no panicking until morning because they set this base camp up. What their plan was, was if you get lost or separated, stay put for the night, make your way back in the morning. Right. And if you're not back by morning then the other guys are going to start to organize some sort of search for you. So they had plans in place for, you know, yeah, climate tree have stuff. a snooze.
2: So if you got 12 hours if you fuck yourself up to just wait it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So Shrum said that he had gone on the top of the ridge and with the rest of his uh, fellow companions uh, down below, they told him to go around the ridge, but they didn't actually realize that how far that ridge went out and how actual far like that he would have to travel to get around it. So um, he got a little bit lost around like going around Did, that area as it
3: happens so quick while you're hunting man i don't know how many times you've like i've looked through a tree line and been like oh there's a clearing just up the hill i just got to make top of this hill then i can see it opens up and you get to the top of like the hill you were looking at and then you look and you're like all right just a little further and i think it opens up and then you go and you're like it still hasn't opened up you're like god damn it i'm just getting fooled here by the, like the where you are on the hills and stuff and next thing you know like i've been turned around in the woods you can get turned around so fucking quick. So, so gotta, unbelievably buddy, quick. That's
4: why you got to bring breadcrumbs, man. Haven't you read that book?
3: <laughs> yeah. <Drop laughs> yeah. And crumbs. they get yeah. eaten by
2: crows. Like that's the
4: whole, <laughs> no, that's like. Uh,
2: uh, but you know, uh, so he gets turned around. He's a little bit lost. He's not exactly sure how he's going to get back. So, you know, the best, the best plan of action at that point is pretty much to stay put as any, you know, most survivalists will tell you, like if you get lost, kind of stay where you are in the general area. And, um, so the sun started going down. So Shrum pretty much recognized that he was going to have to spend the night outside. Now at the time, uh, before they had gone hunting you know, they had been listening to the radio and reports about, you know, what was going on in the area. They'd picked up, um, you know, reports of bears in the area. And so Trump decided that he was going to ha- go ahead and climb a tree and, uh, in order to find a safe place to spend the night, you know, so you don't get eaten by a fucking bear while you're
3: sleeping. <laughs> it's funny because when we, when I looked at this case, I like, and we, I read this part, I was like trying to think in my head a while I was like, well, I, I don't think I'd ever climb a tree. I'd probably just lay on the ground. Get and eaten then, by a bear. and then, then I thought about it. I'd like put myself in the shoes of like, it's getting dark and like just coming back from a hunt <laughs> where a couple of times it's getting dark, you start to get spooked. I'm like, you know what? Yeah. hundred percent. I'm climbing a tree because you know, Fuck, dude, they don't have grizzly bears in the Sierra, Sierra Nevada, but they have black bears. I'm sure they have wolves. And I'm like, there's predators, man. There's predators that will <laughs> that will sniff you out, right? They'll sniff you out and they'll come and take a peek. And, and, if they think it, and if, yeah, and if they think you're vulnerable, they'll give it a go. Not to mention cougars and stuff. I was like, then I was like, you know, what? I'm getting, get your ass
4: up the tree. <laughs> yeah. <big time. laughs>
3: 100%. Uh,
2: Shrum estimated that he was probably about three quarters to a mile away from the camp, which doesn't sound that far, but out in the fucking woods and the mountains, I'm sure it's like, holy shit. Like, I, you know, I imagine you'd just be fucking totally turned around at that point. So as he's sitting up in this tree, you get to around 9 p.m., where he, reported that he observed a type, a strange kind of light in the sky that caught his attention. And it was just flying just below the mountaintops to the north of his position. And this light was moving, seemed to be moving from east to west, but didn't seem to follow any straight type of course. So it seemed to be kind of going up and down. It didn't stay at it. Like he, when he was observing it he said it, wasn't really staying in like a a stationary Um, or like a fixed altitude. It seemed to be kind of oscillating up and down, up and down as it was going uh, along its way. So Shrum originally, you know, when he commented about it later, he originally thought that his friends had gotten a a hold of, a, you know, a force service and they had managed to, uh, you know, get a helicopter out there and they were coming to look for him. Oh, he thought, he thought it was a,
5: he thought it was a chopper.
2: Right. He thought it was a chopper.
5: That would have been pretty amazing. He's only gone for the one night. They've already called search and rescue. They're already bringing a chopper.
4: He's probably sitting in that tree, being like, fuck, boy, stick to the plan. It's all good. (laughs) I'm having a snooze in the tree. And that's,
3: he, this struck him as odd. He was like, well, God damn. Like, I, we had a plan, right? So he, again, these guys are seasoned vets. So he climbs down and he makes, you know, the standard SOS like three signal fires. I I am guessing like I don't know if he already had them prepped like or what but he lights something? three signal fires, boom, right? Cuz he's like right. okay, he didn't well. pre-
2: he as soon as he saw that he started gathering material together. He said he climbed out of the tree, dropped down and started gathering material and then lit the fires.
3: Cuz he's thinking that these guys have done just that and he's like okay, well I I better do my part then and at least make myself <laughs> like, you know, known.
2: So, uh, you know, he says I stood between the two fires. I built on rocks and we, you know, I built on the rocks and he waved his arms uh, back and forth, yelling and screaming, trying to make himself as visible as possible to this light. And then finally, the light started coming towards his position. Dun, dun, and that's dun, when dun. Trump knew
4: he fucked up.
2: Well, the first thing that he noticed was that this object that was coming towards him, this dark object that uh, made no sound there was zero sound coming from it so you know once you hear it once you don't hear that not a chopper you know, that kind of not a chopper Yes, not a chopper <laughs> what he ended up uh remembering seeing this thing of what he observed this 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 object was that on the forward end of it the probably the most prominent feature was this a small point of light which he thought of he started to think of as a headlight kind of pointing down and like moving like a searchlight moving across the aggr- across the ground but another thing that he said was that this, the hull of this ship, the outside surface of this ship, seemed to him to absorb light, like blacker than black. That kind Ooh, of thing. fucking hilarious. Darker <laughs> than dark. So Shrum does pretty much this, the, what he, you know, the only option that he really has to do. I mean, it kept him safe in the beginning. There, he he says that he, I just threw up my bow up in the tree. I got up there. And he had to camouflage clothing on at the time, head to toe and with the hat and everything. And so he just got back up into the tree and froze, hoping that this object would not, you know, single him out or focus single on
3: him, him out or the three fucking fires. He just lit. They it, can't see you. If you don't move.
4: Everyone knows this based on movement. Everyone knows this. I watched Jurassic Park. T rexes and uh,
2: UFOs. Yeah. Everybody knows that. Know. Um, so the object, he said, made a large sweeping half circle maneuver uh, to the east past him. Um, you know, th- you know, he was probably relieved at the time. And then it moved over to a nearby canyon on the south side of the ridge. Now, uh, he
3: remembers kind of uh,
2: giving a good estimate of, of the length of the craft. He said probably about 150 Na- feet.
3: I, oh, I thought he said
2: 99.9. No, <laughs> no base nine. No base nine on this one. No
3: base
2: nine on this one. <laughs> Though it could have been one hundred and forty-five point nine
5: nine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what you're saying is it could have been a base nine.
2: It It's
3: hey, he. just gave an estimate of one hundred and fifty. So I mean, it could have been somewhere in that area. And it's so funny. Like a couple of the readings, uh, a couple of, like the readings that I found and stuff, people talking about it a lot. They would get hung up on this like equivalent to a fourteen-story building, and like. I clearly understood this to mean that like he was just giving it that like if you took this object that was flying and straightened it up, it would be it was like a fourteen story building. Right. But a lot of people were like, That's how it must have been flying straight up and down. I was like, No, <laughs> that's not what he said. I was like, it's so easy that he's trying to give you like a you know, to give you an estimate of like a reference. a reference. Yeah. And and then people like so this thing was just <laughs> traveling through the <laughs> vertical, a 14 story building travel. Like, no, that was a high rise. However, building. you know what? If it's an anti-gravitic craft, like why not? I right? can do whatever it wants Who's to if- say, which yeah, do have a fucking angled. Like it doesn't matter, I guess.
2: Now, Shrum, one of Shrum's hunting buddies that was on that trip with them, uh, Vincent Alvarez, uh, even though he was actually, you know, during during the night, they didn't they they weren't sure where Donald had been. You know, they they were still kind of sticking to their plan as far as they were concerned. Oh,
3: buddy, they were three beers deep. They probably had a cast iron over the fire, cooking up some bacon. Fucking Donnie. (laughs) Yeah,
2: (laughs) But Alvarez seems to corroborate some of at least some of Shrum's story because he he also said that he uh, he saw this UFO like he saw something he saw a light in that area where Shrum had claimed to be
5: so he got so at least have
2: one other witness to the UFO right so the, the actual this object the this you know, bright object that had been floating around that area Now, Mm. Donald Trump says that he sat there in his tree, uh, motionless in his camo, and he said for what what probably could have been four to five minutes. And then something came out of one of the panels that was lining the side of the, sh- the craft. Now he said it was the second panel. I think he said they were, that he identified like three, three separate panels that seemed to be comprised of some sort of material that he kind of, con- he compared it to um, what they, what they kind of seemed like was like, if you took aluminum and you shined a light on it and you kind of like shake it back and forth, that's what they seemed to, I know, yeah, to do. I know. Yeah. So I know like that reflected light or something like that was going on in there. But uh, Out of that, out of the second panel, the middle panel, he saw a type of flash and then something went straight down the hill. A short time later, he would see what he started, what you they refer to in the story and what he seemed to kind of think of as some type of scout ship, a second craft, smaller craft that exited out of oh. the larger so he one. So
3: saw, he saw some sort of mothership at first, this thing, and then... Well, yeah, you could he's... refer
2: to it as the, uh, you know, for the purpose of the story, you could refer to it as a mothership. And then this second object... The baby ship. Given of, the size, the that
4: ship. that makes a lot of sense. Right. So, he's, <laughs> right, Because that looks like that fucking... that That's like the size of the one from Independence Day. That's a big motherfucking ship.
5: 15 stories, yeah. That's, yeah, that's big, a big, big fucking ship. ship. Dude. So it stops, seems to hover there. The panel seems to warp or something. And a
2: ship camp comes down the hill, right? Something comes out of that, uh, of that panel. Now uh, he says that he saw like the top of like some type of like silver dome. What he identified later, like over the tops of the trees, and this silver dome scout ship uh, had a had a blinking light on it, apparently, and then became stationary on the side of a nearby hill, which he said was probably about a half a mile from where he was seated in that tree. Hmm. Mm, so we got a saucer, like a saucer shape. Mm-hmm. Very, like a very probably archetypal, you know, your, saucer. your, your typical dome on top and bottom you would see. And then a few minutes later from the direction of this smaller craft, he saw these short stocky beans Emerge from the kind of tree line from outside the forest that we was, and then he would describe these these creatures as humanoid looking. Oh shit! And they they were approaching him from the northwest, kind of making their way. He kind of said they were kind of making their way through the the brush and through the through the trees. Um, Not not. I mean, they were they were interacting with their surroundings, so they were moving through and pushing brush aside and he seemed to think that they were kind of looking for something kind of seemed to be that they were interested in, in the, the foliage or whatever it, it was around them, but they seemed to be kind of moving around with, with some type of purpose.
3: Did, now, did we know anything about the weather that night? Like, was it a pretty clear night? I believe it was a pretty clear night. Cause that would make sense then if you, you know, if for this, cause this is one part of the story where I, I kind of like, I like to picture these things in my head. I like to picture, you know, sitting up there and you're looking and the only way where I think you could like get your eyes to adjust that to that, be able to see is if it's like a really starry night or maybe you've got, you know, a big moon in the sky as well that you could see, you know, shapes and stuff in the distance, you know, but if it was was a a a pretty bright bright moon,
2: like I'm pretty sure like it was either like a full or almost full moon. Like I'm pretty sure it was well Um, illuminating. I mean, you could look it up on a lunar calendar, like September, like September 4th, yeah.
3: like 1964.
4: I'll look it up on the lunar calendar Zell's on what beat the you. actual phase of the moon was. You can see it. He's doing it. What we got? He's in the zone. September 3rd was
5: a waning crescent, September 4th.
2: Oh, that would definitely not be a...
5: Definitely not a full moon. It was a waning crescent on September 4th, 1964.
2: Moonside. It's a waning crescent, so not that bright, but there's still moonlight.
3: There's still moonlight now, man, and with, like, stars and stuff if you're up there, like, y- you can see. You, you you can you can get some good night vision going, and, and to be honest, we don't even know how many carrots this guy's eaten. Yeah, true. What, what's
4: his rods and cones like? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know what, though? Like, tonight, for example, we got a fucking awesome moon tonight. I can't see fuck all at my house. It's pitch black.
5: Now. Dark as like, hell. Like, yeah. like
4: mm. fucking Zolarius is hanging out by my place. I guarantee it
5: sucking all energy around
4: like you can't see fuck all you can't see i can't even see my feet in front of me here like
2: so we have uh we have a pretty good description of what these creatures look like and and from donald's uh recollection of what they look like i think we have a picture too of like his original sketch and or the the kind of
4: they're wearing some sweet like fucking 80s miami vice suits with puffy shoulders
2: yeah I mean here a little go. bit like that yeah kind of maybe if okay. they were if they were like rad suits I mean. we, we just got a, we got the google <laughs> google search image up here so we'll see what
5: what comes up but
2: so he described these these humanoids as standing approximately probably about five feet tall and they were dressed in these full tight fitting light colored uniforms like some How type tight? Of, like I, I don't know tight tight Not, not Wait, super tight like silver suits <laughs> you couldn't make out you couldn't make out like their abs or anything I mean uh, so not tight enough We're
5: like tight-fitting silver suits. Because we've seen... We've heard of these before in other encounters. Tons!
2: And he said that the joints, like, at the elbows and, like, the knees, they appeared to be the kind of, like... He, he describes them as bellows, but, like, that corrugated kind of look and, like, where you would put the joints in, like, a diving suit or something. Like, that's yeah. what you... Yeah. Kind, of kind of like a...
5: Like, of a,
3: of a like a slice point.
2: Like okay. a slimmer, like, space suit. Right. But the thing is, like... It, they seem to be human in form, but they're just like really short. Like they, they were very really short proportion. Like yeah, they were, they Five were, feet per, isn't they that they short, Dan, well, but short,
4: Five <laughs> foot, that's not that small. All right? No. <laughs> Depends who you ask. Come on now. <laughs> now, um, like in the pictures,
2: you'll think it's like like a, some type of visor or something it seems to be a put over their face, but he described that they were covered by, it was just a hood of some type, and then, oh, or, so or a he, helmet. Looking
4: like Cobra but Commander. You could
2: see the face But the face was dark and like featureless, and he does this. He goes on in the story to kind of describe like what the nose looked like. The like they had some
4: type of like just like a flat nose. That picture kind of makes it look like Talon, like Court of the Night Owls.
2: And uh, funny you mention that because (laughs) uh, the the thing that probably impacted him the most, he'd say later uh was the eyes like they had these huge the, what he could see like in these hoods he could see these huge dark eyes that he kind of compared them to goggles but they didn't seem to to be goggles like they were darker than the the rest of the face like the rest of the featureless face they had these just huge dark orbs for eyes
3: it's a ter- terrifying terrifying absolutely like you see these things coming out of the woods dude i i no, would have shit myself up in that tree So he had he
2: had one actually approach him at first, and then he said like moments after that one appeared like a second one came. So you have these two creatures um, stopping about 100 feet uh, northwest of where Shrum is sitting in this tree motionless in his camo. And they seem to be studying or gathering samples from what either what he identified as a type of manzanita bush. That's just a type of, of plant. shrub. Yeah. That's a type of shrub. Now, I didn't know this before I, I read in the book and, and you're learned this, but there are certain species of manzanita bushes that are uh, they're native to the, Uni- to the United States. And there are actually 106 species of manzanita, and uh, almost 95 of them are found in the mountainous areas of California. And there are actually some species that are. Among the rarest plants on, in the world, like they are actually classified even today, they are still classified as like endangered species. And there's only small areas in the Sierra Nevada where they grow. They're pretty
5: cool-looking that's,
3: that's an interesting, interesting tidbit. It's a cool for, name too. You know, manzanita. Yeah. Possible reasoning of these things coming down in this area.
5: Oh, like they're aware that these plants are only found in this one region. That's why and, they're there.
2: Yeah. Well, they seem interested in one of the bushes yeah. that seems to be a, a Manzanita Has bush.
3: anyone tried smoking them?
5: That was my exact next question.
2: <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure.
5: Has anyone smoked Manzanita? Pod trip to Northern California. I don't, I don't think you want to smoke it. <laughs> smoked Manzanita. That's what
2: the government wants you to think. Sure, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. But so... While while they're in mid study of e- exploring and seem to be you know assessing the area and and they're you know of uh, the assessing the area for foliage or whatever they're doing, they one of the human one of the humanoids ceased stopped and then moved directly to the base of Shrum's tree. Oh, oh he spotted no. Shrum. He didn't stand still enough. And then as the first one is standing there, shortly after, the second one joined it. And then they both stared up directly at where Sean oh, was that's seated a ter- in the tree. That's a terrifying,
5: just to picture that in your mind. You're stuck up in this tree. These two random humanoid looking
3: alien figures. <laughs> comes one, the, one comes directly to your tree.
4: Just Looks, look,
3: up. looks up. His buddy comes his, over. Then the he, second one comes.
4: He looks at dude, him. is there ever a moment to go more fucking Legolas on both these weirdos? Like, come on. Well,
3: it's <laughs> funny because this is where Strom states that at this point, he knew they were there for him. I'm like, that really? And nah. that, the second one coming? The first one coming, you're like, maybe he doesn't see me as he's just looking up in the blackness right at me, but now hmm. that his buddies come to, now... I'm sure they're here for now. Me. We
5: got ourselves a situation.
3: Now I got an issue. So I, and then an interesting
2: bit after this is these, these two creatures are staring directly at Trump and this is where he gets the really good impression of what their eyes look like and what they like. What well, they're it's illuminated really by fire as well. Yeah. Really disturbing eyes. And, um, you know, back to, Andrew's mentioned in the court of owls. Shrum said that he heard these creatures making strange hooting or cooing noises, oh. uh, which he compared oh. to the sound of what an owl would make.
3: Dude, I'm telling you, we got it all wrong. The mothman was never a mothman. He was an owl man. And these are his owl people. <laughs> you did in their spacesuits.
2: You didn't say that on the case file. More like mm-hmm. Owlman. man. And even more interesting, he said that there seemed to be a similar sound emanating from the hovering mothership every time and he, he kind of seemed to know that, like when he focused in on this he kind of concentrated on this this interaction that seemed to be going on yeah, he see it, he said it seemed to be that every time the the sh- the noise would come from the ship those creatures would do something else like they would they would they would they would change their course of action of, of whatever they were doing. So he said uh, that he kind of connected these sounds and the creature's actions that it might've been some type of uh, a communication
4: between there's the, the bosses two. up there being like, yo, you guys, we need those manzanitas. Come on, let's go. It's, uh,
3: it's interesting that they, they like speak in, it's almost like, cause I'm not going to say they speak in L, but I'm like, maybe they're using something where, it, it, basically their speech is now camouflaging talking in the open and, and you know like we thinking it's uh you know just a couple owls shooting right it, it, maybe that's not their native tongue but it's something to do with like their way of camouflaging around it's, the sort, like i'm going to be listening really carefully next time I hear babylon brook
4: well, it's <laughs> fucking interesting too because like i trying to rack my brain right now but like 90% of these cases we talk about it's all fucking it's all espn owls. No, it's uh, all ESPN. Yeah, They're yeah. talking to each other until his brains. Right. They're never making noises. Never, not, not usually audible. No. No. Right. Besides these, just these two that
2: he has staring up at him from the thing. He said that he heard other sounds from around uh, the area, so it seemed to be that there were more creatures or more beings kind of moving around. And on the outside, like right outside of his his vision, maybe out in the dark. But he kind of guessed that there could probably be somewhere between five and six of the other ones. Like he caught and he seemed to caught, caught, catch glimpses of uh, more of them uh, kind of going over rocks and, and some of the other and through the brush, um, you know, kind of thrashing around. Uh,
5: Dan, just before we get to the next creature we're about to talk about, we got to take a quick beer break because. Sounds good. It gets it gets wild.
3: It's
1: going to get crazy. Woo! Hang on to your butts. Be right back. Nation, what difficulties did you have with learning a new language in school or whenever you did it? Did you do it through textbooks or did you try to use some weird online thing? I know I took two years in high school and two years in college and I knew nothing. And that's because I wasn't using something like what we have been blessed to have as a longtime sponsor. <laughs> and we use it. Rosetta Stone—they're the most trusted language learning program, and it's available on desktop or as an app. And the reason why I enjoy doing it—it it immerses you in the language you want to learn, instead of just being silly drills and a class you can sleep through.
3: Uh, I definitely use it. I, I think it's really cool how they have the speech recognition program on there. It gives you the feedback on the pronunciation. Are you making fun stuff? of me
1: because I can never do that? That's what you're getting at right now. Okay? <laughs>
3: That's what it, it's like. What are you trying to do? Do it right. <laughs>
6: Uh,
5: but it is really cool. They've got all kinds of lessons. You can do it uh, offline. You don't even have to be online
1: for it. That is great because it's right there in your pocket or at your home and you can do it. You got 15 minutes. Let's go to town. Let's do it. You know, and mm-hmm. it's amazing value. Lifetime membership has all 25 languages available for any trips. You need language in life. You need to brush up on stuff. Maybe you just met a girl or a guy or a non-binary and they're from uh, somewhere else. Somewhere, you know, who knows? Well, if they're in the one of the 25, Rosetta's going to work for you. (laughs) And you get lifetime access to all of that. And there is a 50% offer, so it is a steal. So don't put off learning language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Hysteria 51 listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for that 50% off that I just told you about.
3: Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off, unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today Today
0: Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150, then BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. We're
2: back. We're back for
4: round
2: two the epic
5: bring in, girl, bro, bro. Bro. Bring yeah, in the kind of. next the next humanoid shit's gonna
4: f- get fucking weird fucking boys feature. this is when epic. stuff gets super awesome
2: so now uh donald Trump is talking about how he has noticed like more than one of these five foot like these smaller figures like he can identify them from the whitish silver things and he's kind of seen them kind of moving behind the brush and by, uh, through the trees on some of the like right outside of like where he's a little bit farther than the other two that have actually seemed to notice him. Then he hears a, like a crashing thrashing around sound, like seeming to come directly from the forest uh, in his direction. And when he looks over to the source of the sound, he sees these two huge eyes coming toward him. And he describes these things looking as like two flashlights hooked together. So it's like oh. two beams of light, like oh. fucking iron giant, like, yeah. oh. you know, coming out. And, um, he described, but you know, not iron giant, like nice, you know, white, warm white color. It is a reddish orange color that he, uh, he described as the color of fire. And oh these things God. illuminated the face and the jaw of a robot like creature that was rapidly approaching where Shrum was uh, perched in his tree.
4: Was it screaming, ignore me? <laughs> ignore me. Venture <And> Brothers <laughs> fucking throwback. There. Wasn't the observer. Hmm. Wasn't
2: the observer. Now
3: <laughs> at this point, <laughs> now you Shrum, have to- <laughs> Shrum stated at this point, he wasn't a hundred percent sure before, but now he knew they were after him that this is the like before, final the two uh, the two he was like you know maybe 90 percent. now a robot's coming out of the woodworks he's like okay no right. they're here for me right but this one so you've got
2: this what he describes as you know a, a typical robot and from his illustrations later and and ones that were made like kind of enhanced from his versions um it looks very much like but like 1960s iron man
4: Wait, listen. Like, are we positive, very... fucking Shrimmer over here, David Shrimmer? Is he? Sure. Are we sure he's not a fucking mutant? Are these just sentinels coming to get him? <laughs> like, do we know this?
6: Br- brought
2: in the We're sentinel sure. program. Yeah. I mean, he survived. A, a, you know, a, 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 there in the Sierra Nevada, around the, September, like the temperature could probably drop to around freezing. And as we'll get to in a point, he survived an entire night without any real like cold gear. This guy's badass. Uh, oh, perched shit. up in that tree. So, maybe. Okay. Plus, well, you know, it's, well, it's uh, a September. I mean, you can't get that cold. It's not that cold. But, like, up in the mountains and stuff, like, it's still That's true. cold. Like, they still get Absolutely. pretty close to like. Depends on uh, elevation,
5: uh, I guess. Uh, How high up there?
2: So, th- this robo mechanical monstrosity approaches Shrum's tree and takes up a position right down alongside the rock where uh, the embers of his fire had been. And. He, he said it, it, it performed a type of action that he, he kind of considered unusual, and he marked like kind of to remember that it reached out one of its arms and it swept off uh, the remains of the signal fire that he had built there. That's Buddy, fucking.
3: Oh, if that's not some oh. sort of tell of like there's no one's coming to help you. I don't know what is like. That's
4: terrifying. Well, not only that, like, you're like you're making it pitch black,
5: darker you than You're taking away
4: the light, man. Like you're not going to be able to see anything.
5: The only, the last sliver of light is snuffed out as this fucking robot comes waltzing (laughs) over to your tree.
4: That's fucking terrifying.
2: Now, um, Shrum remembers that it it, it performs some kind of motion with its hand, which suddenly caused, or seemed to cause, a cloud of whitish vapor to spray out of its mouth. So just like... (sighs) You can imagine that kind of coming out, and yeah. it formed a cloud, or it seemed like a to like fog conge- machine almost, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, seemed to uh, congeal into some type of cloud, form into a cloud, and it just went straight up Shrum's tree. I started to rise up into the air, up to where Shrum oh, was trying to poison him. And the 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 creature itself in this cloud of vapor was upwind of him. So it just came up and acted like he's he compared it to, to nitrogen, just like a gas, like just lighter than air, gas coming up there. And he didn't smell anything. He couldn't smell anything. So he wasn't, you know, you couldn't really identify what type of gas it was. But um there was no smell. And then, but he felt like the air was like being pulled out of his lungs. He was having Ooh, trouble suffocating, uh, breathing, gasping for air, and then blacking
4: out. So something that interrupts the oxygen exchange in his lungs, and he gets hypoxic yeah. and fucking passes out.
5: Passes out. So he's Holy up in the tree. God. He passes out. Does he fall
4: or what's what's happening? No, he's, no he's he's in not his strapped In
3: yet? Oh, he's, he's not, not strapped, strapped in, in yet. yet. He oh, just wow. how does he he's not pass
4: straight. out? How does he not fall out then? He slumps well, he over the bow. branch and he he kind of
3: falls into his bow that's propped him up. Right. So he kind of has what? like
2: the foresight to kind of put his bow down and then like he fall he said that he fell across his bow and that kept him from completely just tumbling out So I, I the, imagine, I'm trying I need I a diagram here boys. I need to, I imagine uh, he's straddling
3: I'm not, a branch with his back against the tree. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right? And then he puts
4: the bow across and as he falls he falls so he's almost like topped. Yeah, but the the when the fucking branch, like you're going to lean to a side, you're not going to be perfectly D- to how big is a branch? You're just going to fucking topple over. Yeah, it depends how he's going to teeter totter that shit and fucking fly right he's off. He's got
5: right spectacular balance even when he passes out.
3: I don't know, boys. I just think if it's a thick, if it's a thick, a thick branch, right? Like he, he might just topple onto it. Yeah, if it's and, a big ass branch.
5: Like- or, yeah. or like, as we said, like he falls onto his bow. So his bow is maybe there's two other branches beside his bow is wedged there. He falls. There and it's kind of like a shelf. He that makes, like falls yeah, on yeah, a shelf. Like sense. That.
4: There we go. Okay, it's all solved. Let's go with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can buy that. So Shrum blacks out from
2: this this vapor, which seems to to send him into like a uh, you know knock him out for yeah, a second, and head head then he says like he remembers waking up when it probably he yeah, kind of estimated to be around.
3: Then when he wakes up, he stated. He, you know, he wasn't hundred percent sure before, but now he knew that you were after him. He was so
5: he's We've said that
4: three times now. What's no, he happening? Was, here?
5: He was ninety percent when he's seen the two humanoids with maybe <laughs> yeah, like, other ones. Like, So then he moves me. up to like ninety two, then like, ninety five. No, then no, no, he's like, hundred the He's ninety seven with the robot. The robot yeah. poisons him. Tries to poison him out of the tree. Now he's like, okay. He's, he's like, uh, I think we okay. got it now. Yeah,
4: well, but listen, like you don't, you can't just like you can't aim the poison directly at him. It's just vapor, so maybe they're trying to do something else on the fucking tree. Well, that's fair. He's <laughs> right? So, so maybe, maybe now right you now, could get up to like a ninety-eight.
3: <laughs> he's at ninety-eight. He's like, he's like, you know what? If I was a betting man. I would bet that there, these things are after me. He, he's this
4: camo is not working. He's yeah.
5: thinking at this point, oh, the, this robot's just trying to like uh, herbicide this tree. He's, still, yeah.
4: you know, it's not yeah, not
2: necessarily
5: fucking
4: get pine me. beetles, man. They're coming back from the past. Yeah. <laughs> Take care of the fucking pine beetles.
2: <laughs> um, now, so he estimates about this time, like when he wakes up. He wakes up and he he says he's got like he's dry heaving. He said he felt like from the from the effects of the white vapor wearing off. He said that he was kind of like heaving as he woke up and kind of estimated to the time to be around 11 p.m. Probably midnight at this point. Now, this is where stuff gets real fun, <laughs> as that you know Shrum is Shrum is now, as Braden said, that he is ninety six percent. Ninety eight. 98, 98. No, we move up to
4: ninety eight.
2: Or 98, 96 yeah. to 98% sure that these creatures are here to get him or focused yeah. on him, are here for him. Um, and the only thing that Shrum has at his disposal that he can think of right off the bat is his 60 pound recurve bow with the 26 inch pull. Fucking pole. right. Yeah, buddy. So uh Shrum channels in channels his inner Hawkeye, uh, knocks up his first arrow and takes aim at the robot that is standing directly below him.
3: Now he had reasoning for aiming at the robot one because it, it because it fucking poisoned him (laughs) and and he, and he obviously wanted revenge for that. And two, he felt that this thing, whatever it was, was in fact robotic and that the, he didn't feel comfortable shooting at humanoid beings.
4: Right. Right. Uh, He's he's like, listen, there's a 98% chance this thing's after me. I got to take it out. He's a nice guy. Yeah. (laughs) We're <laughs> not risking the two percent chance that it's friendly. He still doesn't think it's going to kill him.
2: Yeah. So he fires his first arrow at this robot creature, and he says it's probably within about twelve feet away, and strikes a robot straight square in the chest. Oh, maximum <sighs> impact at that range, twelve feet. And Shrum recalls seeing a very bright flash of light like a big arc flash like an arc welder like Like sparks yeah um i believe a shrum was it was a welder by trade um that's um he had been working like he worked on uh i think he worked in like a rocket factory uh is where he originally yeah um what he had been doing and so he was very familiar with this kind of stuff but he compared it to an arc welding flash and after being struck with this arrow the creature kind of moved back about 10 or 20 feet staggered him, but the the arrow from what shrum could tell had hadn't inflicted any type of real noticeable damage this is,
3: on this the creature's body i tell you it, it sent the other two it sent the other two humanoid creatures into the woods though they're like oh fuck we're out of here yeah, yeah those
2: mean, ones that had been originally standing like a, another additional ten feet, but probably about ten feet away from where the the robot was, they fucking booked it. Dude, they took. Yeah. <laughs>
4: they
3: he, he's like he's shooting trees at us. Yeah, there's
4: <laughs> one little. There's probably one of those dudes in that robot controlling it. Fucking <laughs>
5: dude. When when I heard when I read the flash, like it hit him and there was a flash. I was like, this robot's equipped to some type of force field.
4: I thought it was like a zord, you know, in the power when they fight and just sparks fly off every time they get hit. Boy,
2: oh, yeah, I like that too.
4: Could be. could be some type of
2: electromagnetic shielding. Who knows? Some it type of shielding. Something like that.
4: Or it could be Megazord.
2: So Shrum fired uh, two more arrows into this one, and I think one of them might have hit. Same thing happened, and then the other one I think he missed, but... Did he give him a Legolas? Like, he shot the one, then quickly in quick succession, <laughs> just
5: bang, bang!
4: Two oh, more? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's nuts.
2: Um If it helps with the imagery, yes. It's probably mm. some type of Legolas. Thing. I'm picturing like, I I the first I mean, he probably had ones. them all three knocked at the same time and then let them go uh, One it is So time. bad. That's, a, that's amazing. <laughs> Let's go with that.
4: I feel like that would be the hardest weapon to use while shitting pants. You know, like while you're like terrified. A, like, a, ste- fuck, a steady bow. Yeah. You know, like fucking shit. Like especially when you have like yeah. zero training other than shooting defenseless animals. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that would be the worst weapon to have in this case, especially for someone 100%. like 100%. Agreed.
2: So those are all the arrows that Shrum was carrying at the time. So after he fires his three arrows, his ammunition is spent. He's got nothing left to uh shoot at these surely these though he has other items that he could
5: use to, at his disposal. That's true.
2: Now Shrum at the time uh believed that you know, when he saw the robot creature clear off the embers of the fire, he marked in his head that this is probably he kind of made a connection seeming to 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 a theory that perhaps these creatures had some type of aversion or at least like a curiosity to fire or that they, they seem to want to, uh, to avoid it. So, uh, Shrum in his possession had a, about six or seven books of matches. Wow. And so he immediately th- thought to use the fire to scare these aliens away. By lighting his tree on fire or how do you do it? Well, not the tree because he's sitting in the tree. So instead of the tree, though, uh, you know, the first thing that Trump throws out is an entire one of the entire book of matches. He lights the whole thing on fire and he throws it down uh, towards the creatures on the ground. And so this had the other two humanoids back away uh, from the tree. And, uh, you know, even farther back than they had been. Uh, So. He goes full on pyro at this point. So once he yeah. sees that these these creatures are Is avoiding and moving away or seem to be have their aversion to fire, he starts. He, he, that's a, a sign of success for Shrum. And he starts lighting everything on fire. Uh, he takes off his hat. He said he takes <laughs> off his hat, uh, and it, and he said uh, at the time he's like, I guess I had a lot of hair oil on it because when I lit that shit on
3: fire, <laughs> even, fucking- he <laughs> yeah. even he was surprised. Even he was <laughs> surprised when he. Lit mean, it. Already, like, oh, sh- oh shit!
4: <laughs> Why are you going straight to clothes? Like you got how many books of matches? Just keep fucking fucking matches at these guys.
3: Yeah, but that's wasting the whole one match. Matches like that makes b- no no dude, dude no. Oh, your clothes. matches. Box he he's lighting the he was lighting the pack and then lighting the pack on fire and throwing it. If you throw one match out of the tree, it's out
4: before it hits the ground. All right. Now if you got really he's got good fuck this is the 60s, man. They made Those shit aren't the last birds. This is Those How do you know? These are seasoned hunters.
3: Because <laughs> red birds come in a box. That's how I know. <laughs>
2: So, uh, you know, Shrum's Shrum's surprise is mirrored by the creatures on the ground because they are also, uh, you know, seem to to be afraid or, you know, want to avoid this large the hat that like how far it kind of blazed and how brightly and how brightly it burned as he threw that down. And they, they moved even further back, he said, probably an estimate about 50 to 75 feet from the tree. And then at this point, he's like, he's yeah, he's like, i burned everything I had to burn my hunting license, uh, <laughs> everything out of my wallet that would burn all the dollar bills I had. I burned it. So he would like light them on fire and then throw them out of the tree at, at the creatures. Yep. Everything that, that was paper <laughs> one, one at, little, one little thing at a time. <laughs> yeah. Taking everything out of his wallet, dollar bills, boom, fucking throwing loose change just, at like, them. F-
4: Throw it. Yeah. Get confused um, thinking he's at the fucking rippers and Alberta throwing fucking lunatics <laughs>
3: yeah. hot quarters. Yeah. He's heating up the nickels. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I mean, yeah, he did throw he actually did throw his spare change at these creatures. Like whatever <laughs> was in his pockets. He had some spare change. He said, because he, he he remembers that and he specifically marked it that he threw down coins at these things. Um and they actually but these things actually seem to be
4: Oh, uh, how badass would uh, that be if he just fucking these. blasts them with his boats, boom, and then it'd keep the change and filthy animals hucks a couple of <laughs> fucking dimes at them. kick rocks, pal.
3: It's that's interesting, though, because, you know, these things like Dan said, they scrambled to pick these things up and they're like examining them Right. Like they were interested in he, he said it looked like they were interested in the pictures and like they were really giving them a good look. And after,
2: you know, after the whole experience, uh, you know, th- there's still more to it. But after the the whole event, like Shrum said that he had went down or came back and returned to the spot and he couldn't find it. And they had changed that he had dropped. So. They took the change. They took the change. Hey, um, no, it's valuable. Absolutely. After he burned everything out of his wallet, all this paper material, and he ran out of stuff to kind of ran out of paper. He says that he started, he began to tear off pieces of clothes. Like he started tearing off pieces of cloth from his jacket and yeah, that shit doesn't light easy though. Start lighting that stuff on fire and start throwing it. Everything burnable. When you need a fucking
4: accelerant creatures? on that kind of shit though? Like this is going to light your shirt on fire. Yeah, if
2: like
5: like a heavy jacket. I don't no, think no, it I might mean, be
4: me, me and Braden, fucking 2011. We saw a guy try to light a Jersey on fire. We sat there and it's just, that's not lighting, bud. It's not <laughs> happening. You need a lot of lighter fu- fluid to get that going. <laughs> on. Yeah, this is like, the sixties well,
3: though. No, no, hey, hey, though.
2: Everything was flammable.
3: No. I yeah. Guess. And Listen, <laughs> if these guys are seasoned hunters in the sixties, Chances, what they're wearing,
4: 100% wool. 100% paper. Wearing paper clothes. Wool. it yeah. goes no, up like, real, real quick. Wool,
3: right? 100% wool. And it's not, all the information we have is that it wasn't raining or anything, So it's not wet wool. So if it's dry wool, that shit's going up fast, buddy. Like it's, it's that's not taking it's time. Denver. It's not the like the synthetic mm. stuff that we have now. Well, maybe they're just wearing a Canadian tuxedo. <laughs> all yeah, like,
5: it's all <laughs> denim. That's not going to light very quick. No. We got no clue. Okay, so that's he, what he, I wear
3: hunted.
2: So he starts burning his clothes. What's
3: right. left
5: and,
2: and anything? The only thing that he has left after he goes on his fire rampage is, is that he said that he was just pretty much his his shirt, his pants, and his shoes. That's it. He's got like a cotton t shirt. He's got his pants on, and he's got his boots, and that's pretty much everything that he has on him. And he climbs up to the top of the tree since he's got no other type of uh you know defense strategy. Other than to to get up higher into the tree, he climbs up to the top, and this is when he ties himself to the to the tree, to the trunk of the tree, using his canteen belt. Okay,
4: canteen belt. I thought he had a harness. Oh yeah, the canteen it, belt it, that was the only thing.
3: It's it a, it's especially a it's like an extra long belt. It's not a harness. It's just a belt that you tie around your waist in a tree. I know, but I thing. thought he
4: went camping with a fucking harness so he could post up in the tree. Oh, that's what it's they just, do now.
3: It, it's just a belt.
4: Right. It's, canteen. No it's just harness. like a
2: it's like a shoulder strap can- canteen. I'm so sure, the canteen like is the
4: harness? Like, is that what we're establishing? Well,
2: he's just like wrapped that thing around the tree and just kind
3: of like... And then and then he on. wrapped you wrap it around your high waist, then you can lean out.
4: Okay. I under I understand that he's using the canteen thing here. But I thought like I was under the understanding that he had a fucking like harness to, to potentially sleep up in this tr- We might have said yeah. a harness, but we meant I
5: don't think we meant. Like a, he, so he's, he's got a long belt. So you can just like a lot, like those linemen who climb poles. It's a, you throw the belt yeah. around and you kind of lean back and you can kind of hang. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so so I
3: read was a, it was a line belt, like a long belt, like an extra long belt for that purpose. Okay.
5: Okay. So he's up the top of the tree. He's hanging on for dear life. He's expelled all items of flammable material other than <laughs> a little bit of clothing he has left. And now what did any of his tactics scare the robot? And other ETs away from the tree.
2: Well, while he is attached, once he finishes attaching, you know, the task of attaching himself to the tree, uh, he looks down and now
3: there are two robots. <laughs> oh, so it made it worse. Anything he <laughs> yeah. did made it worse. And at this point, he stated like before he was, wasn't was that sure. But now now he's basically 100 they're, percent. They're there for him. So so
2: the original robot again approaches the tree or what he identified as the original robot and it began to again emit the gaseous vapor that it had before. So seeming the same type of tactic they had used before and it has the same effect. It rises up through the tree branches, catches hold and Shrum says that he blacked out again Um, and when he again when he woke up and he looked down what he saw was the two of the humanoid creatures had made it to the bottom of the tree and were trying to climb up the trunk in an effort to reach the first limb, um, which, uh, Shrum had used to climb the tree in the first place. So this first, this first branch was about 12 feet off the ground and Shrum had gotten to it by climbing on top of a rock, um, that was near the tree and then jumping from there to get to the, to the branch and then climbing and then, you know, uh, starting to climb the tree. But these these creatures weren't weren't didn't seem interested in doing that. And um they were pretty much just trying to his description is they were trying to boost each other <laughs> up into the trunk to 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 attain their grip on the 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 first limb.
4: Now only if they had something that could fly, hey? Eh? Too bad. <laughs> but I imagine these two five
2: foot Something creatures are like standing on one standing on top of the other's shoulders.
4: They have a fucking to, they have a yeah, scout spaceship. What the fuck do they need to climb anything for? Well that you know knock they, the fucker out of the tree.
5: They like to do stuff the old fashioned way a Apparently. little bit still. <laughs> What do you you can't you can't
4: take the whole ship to take down the why not object out of a the tree, tree? Yeah. Why not? Why 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 would you? Because you want this guy bad enough, you're looking like assholes trying to climb this fucking thing, <laughs> and shooting vapor at him. Might as well just knock the fucking tree down. <laughs> You got a spaceship. It like
3: it's like if you were in a helicopter, you wouldn't you like if you're flying a helicopter, you wouldn't like other yeah, than it's nice. It's helicopter, a fucking it's a.
4: It's a thing that can fly through fucking time and space, man. You tell me they don't have the technology. to Get this dude out of the tree. Time and space are much different than treetop retrieval, I guess. Or yeah. you get robots fucking just knock the tree down. They want him alive. So
2: every time these these creatures try to get up into the tree or they got close to uh, reaching the branches, Shrum said that he initiated the strategy of, of shaking the tree or bending it, seeming to bend it uh, you know, as far as he could getting the, the tree to kind of impart some movement into the tree. And he said, every time that he did that, these creatures would kind of back off and they would, anytime there was any type of movement like that went throughout the tree, I, they would kind of just back off and, and, I, and give up.
3: I had read that even at one point, one of them had kind of gotten in the tree and had almost grabbed like a foot and he, he had like kicked this it thing kicked hand, off. and it shimmied back down. Like that was one of the accounts. So they're, I
5: read. So they're actively trying to grab him out of the tree by his feet. Y-
3: yeah. They're a hundred percent coming for him. They, at, they want hey, wait, him. At this point we we've established a hundred percent. Can we, can we yeah. say it's a hundred percent? They're trying to get him now. Yeah. <laughs> I think Shrum's at 100 He's a hundred <laughs> too. Okay. Okay. Perfect.
2: So, like we now that they're trying to get uh, actually get up to physically climb the tree, Shrum has has initiated the strategy of throwing everything. Like we said, he he threw down the coins that he had in his thing. Uh, you know, it, they didn't seem to be much of a deterrent. They they, they seem to. Garner the the attention of the aliens for a second, kind of you know grab their attention, but then uh, they just went back to trying to climb up the tree. Strum said at one point he threw down his canteen, and the, the humanoids actually seemed interested and in that as well, and picked that up and tossed just tossed it aside after a cursory evaluation of whatever it was. Um, Strum tried to, imitating calls of coyotes. He tried imitating wild uh, wildlife calls, hoping that the the visitors would would think that he's trying to call for his companions or something or signal a rescue well, and drive them off. What
4: if this entire time they're just trying to help him? They're hooting at him being like, Hey buddy, we're just trying to help you out of the tree. We're all good. <laughs> we're friendly. Like it's all good, man. We're just trying to help you out of the tree. They have different rules. That's why they haven't, a stat, like, why they're not throwing shit at him or doing any cool technology. Maybe they thought like, Hey, we'll knock them out. Cause like, that's what we do with bears. We sedate them and then they follow a the tree. We catch them. Maybe that's <laughs> what they're thinking. Right. Right? Maybe they want to get him out safely and just be like, hey man, we're just trying to help you out, dude. Now Shrum, Shrum trying quarters, to do the coyote then.
3: calls is actually ingenious because you know sometimes if you're if you've ever been out in the woods and you do some howls, sometimes you can get some coyotes to howl back or yipe back. So like if he did that and perhaps some coyotes around started doing that, maybe these things would in fact think that there was, you know, he had some help out there. <laughs> Unfortunately for him, uh they they did not. <laughs>
6: <laughs> no.
2: Now, um, the two robots that are standing beneath the tree begin some type begin to uh, perform some type of uh, some type of action, which uh, Shrum started to recognize that they were facing each other. And then while standing at the base of the tree, he saw the entire base seem to be illuminated from light that was emanating from both the robots. And when he kind of looked closer through the branches to see what they were actually doing, he marked that there were flat. There seemed to be flashes of light passing between the two robots from their chest, like their chest areas. Did they do a
4: dance and then merge? Oh, Makishiba.
2: Makishiba.
4: Yeah.
2: I think he heard that. Yeah. (laughs)
4: Kind of like they're doing some kind of like Care Bear thing, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Care Bear Energy energy out of the chest. Uh, Care Bear uh, Stare, Yeah. Yeah.
2: Now, what he said, that's like from this this interaction that these two robots were doing, a large amount or a large volume of the gas or the vapor that he had seen before... Uh, began to drift toward Trump like a larger amount than there had been before. And this rapidly expanding mist was so thick that Shrum couldn't even see the robots down below. Like it was completely engulfing the bottom of the tree in, in completely obscuring these uh, the, the humanoids and the robots from his sight. And then suddenly he feels a blast of intense cold and passes
5: out. So the oh, same type of smoke as before, but now both the robots have joined forces and uh, launching it. Yeah, double strength. Shoot.
3: yeah, double strength. Mega stream. Whatever they hit Megazord. him with. The f- They're like, we hit him a hundred. We hit him with hundred CCs of the smog, and he woke right back up. <laughs> like double him up.
2: So after he passed out, he said that he remembers just just before passing out it was still dark but when he finally awoke still attached to the tree you know thankfully uh it seemed to be that the the first rays of the morning sun had appeared and so he this whole entire event seemed to be over because when he looked down the creatures uh the robots all of them were gone he was just, you know, Shrum says, when I woke up, I was hanging just by my belt. My feet were hanging down and my head was hanging down. It was light, but the sun hadn't come up yet. And there was no sign of them, the aliens, the aliens.
5: So whatever they smoked him out, he passed out again, but I guess he was high enough in the tree that they couldn't, maybe they couldn't reach him or they, or maybe they reaped. they did something to him up in the tree and this left him. It's not really clear. Right, he just w- he wakes up in the he alien, just, They're gone. He
3: wakes up in the same place he passed out. Right. Uh, after you
2: know. this, uh, Shrum managed to climb down from the tree, get you know, get down from the descend out of his perch, and then he headed in the direction of the camp um, where they had established the day earlier. And he said he walked about half a mile and that was it. Like he was like the fatigue started setting in, you know, the, the, the adrenaline started wearing off and he just said he laid down on the ground and just fucking passed out, just fell straight to sleep. Well, yeah, he was poisoned Two, twice the um, night before. So
3: three he's, times he got smoked three times. I thought he got yeah. smoked three times, three, three times, times oh, fuck. once, but one single smoke and then a double dose at the end or twice singles. And then a double and dose, then double dose. It, what like and what a stressful fucking night of terror, right.
2: and then luckily for him, uh, what he estimated is probably about I don't know how he, how he estimates these times. So he's looking at his watch, or I'm not sure, but he says about five minutes. And you know, a short time later, um, he said that he was awakened by someone whistling nearby, and it was Vincent Alvarez, one of the uh, the hunting buddies they had been with and had been out looking for him, and. Uh, Alvarez would write later uh, when he found uh, when he found Shrum, he would say the night had been very cold and all he had on him at the time I found him was a thin cotton T-shirt and his pants and he was exhausted and tired. So he ripped everything else else off and burned
5: it and Torched threw it. it down.
2: So he wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't wearing any of his camo stuff like he didn't have any of his gear on that he had been, you know, that they had left camp with all that was gone and he was just wearing a cotton t-shirt and pants which they had been an ex- not, probably not an extremely cold maybe not below freezing but still cold enough that you'd be like holy shit like oh, what it, the it, fuck
6: yeah dude it's any- california cold
5: <laughs> anything under like seven or eight degrees celsius if you're not dressed like within a couple layers is cold over extended time so like it could be real cold if you're oh, only any cotton
3: shirt i don't care if it was 20 degrees overnight if you left camp in, in fully dressed and came back in that, I'd be like, what happened to all your clothes? <laughs> what the fuck, man? What happened to you?
4: Man, you're not supposed to I'd eat the berries, question. man. Yeah. I don't care how hungry you got. Don't eat that shit. Stop smoking the, what's it, Mizenza bush? What the fuck? Man- it? Manzanita. <laughs> Manzanitas.
5: That, it's so, gotta be one of the most terrifying one-on-one eating counters we've discussed. Like it's
2: yeah. just him versus yeah. aliens all night long. Yeah. he took shots at him. Like just everything is just, it, it, this is, it's a wild encounter. Like it's a, a fantastic encounter of other creatures and a, in a fantastic account of a, a person encountering beings from, you know, seemingly another world. No doubt. Now these these events would weigh heavily on Trump even later into his life. Like uh, immediately following, like weeks, not even weeks, days after uh, returning home from this uh, from this uh, event, uh, he would uh, his wife Judy would talk about how that he had nightmares. Like he would wake up in the middle of the night screaming. Uh, mostly about the eyes like he would be you know some like the eyes the eyes they're watching me and so um you know he displayed a lot of uh symptoms that uh people would associate with ptsd uh like from this Mm. event no absolutely absolutely yeah (laughs) exactly yeah yeah um, Judy, uh, like Judy, um, would actually write uh, because of the concern that she had for her husband, and you know when he told her, like he sat her down and told her about this, like just shortly after he had returned uh, from the trip and told her all of the details of, of what had happened. And in 1973, she would the, she would write to NICAP which is the precursor to MoveOn, Um, If anybody's familiar with that, such a cooler and name.
4: They should have kept it Nikon. Nightcap cap sounds nightcap, way more nightcap. badass than mufon
2: <laughs> and uh so you know she would write about how long this had affected uh, donald like mentally uh, psychologically uh since that had happened you know even like a decade you know close to a decade after this these events uh, he had just been, endured uh, some kind of, you know, an extraterrestrial attack or assault or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, he would wake up screaming and uh, for years uh, yeah. about what, what happened that night,
3: a traumatic yeah, event his, just like followed him his, forever. His wife had to take it into her own hands to like, be like, okay, well we need some answers. We need something. He needs some sort of help because this is crazy. We can't keep going on like this.
2: And so um, like, Donald originally did not want the story to go public. Like the U, like they're living in the very kind of uh, peak of UFO kind of things. You had Betty and Barney Hill like, a, happening. You had other UFO flaps. You had all the kind of UFO. Madness, you know that was going on around that times, but Donald didn't want this story coming out. Well, didn't he? He uh, was like he
4: he built fucking missiles for a living too, didn't
2: he? Right, he did work yeah, he, for like he did he work for um. Yeah, you don't want people to think you're a fucking nutter that yeah that worked with the government that had government contracts, and so that was one of the reasons that the biggest reason that he didn't want any of this stuff getting out for him to be kind of labeled as a security risk, or you know, at worst, you know, lose his job. It was a good job, um, and so that was one of the, the biggest reason that he didn't want this stuff to come out. You know, he didn't want to make waves about this, this kind of thing. Although this stuff was, is happening. And then after, you know, after a certain point, he started getting in contact with people kind of being like, to kind of talk about what had happened. Um, He was actually put in uh, contact with uh, the U.S. Air Force. Um, A couple of U.S. uh, U.S. Air Force officers, uh, were uh, arranged by an astronomer, Victor Killick, uh, that was associated with, that had, you know, uh, gained the acquaintance of Donald Shrum after kind of his, his story kind of started kind of a little circulating a little bit. And, uh, he had gone to talk to these, you know, he thought it would be in his best interest to talk to these Air Force officers about what had happened. So Shrum recalls going to, Shrum and Judy, his wife, uh, recall going to this meeting with these two Air Force officers and them eventually trying to, trying to explain away his, um, his encounter. Uh, they kind of threw a couple theories at him being like, oh, you know what? Maybe it was this. Maybe it was some, uh, you know, military exercises going on in that area. Uh, maybe it was. I think one of the more um,
3: well, he he he. <laughs> they're like they they're like yeah, maybe military exercises, and he has he's like well I don't I don't think so. Didn't feel like that. They're like well you know probably a couple uh, boy scouts out there playing pranks. Boy scouts playing pranks, yeah. dressed yep. up in robot costumes. Yeah. So he, I mean, yeah. he he's like you know he's like well a well, boy scouts out in the middle of what I don't think so. And they're like, oh, okay, all right, all right, you got us. It's a rogue team of Japanese fighters who landed here during World War II. Don't know the war's over. That's who it's got to be. That's,
4: That's what it was. Fucking Red Dawn Part Two
3: here. Yeah, and he's like, he's like, what? <laughs> are you, are we for, they didn't shoot me. <laughs> you for real? I, I don't think so. Um, like, yeah, Shroom, listen.
2: All right, we've given you all the answers. Shrum and, and Judy, uh, they both kind of. When they recall the events, they they thought their sentiments were that they felt that the the Air Force officer being kind of dismissive of Shrum's claims about what had happened. Um, But Shrum uh, cooperated fully with them. And, uh, you know, he even brought one of the arrows that he fired at the robots uh, during the encounter. And this was the Mm, one that he he remarked on being the best example of the one. This is the, like the first one that he had shot at the, uh, at the robot, the first one. And then he remembers it having kind of some unique properties or markings on it. That was like um, the arrowhead seemed to be kind of melted on it. And it, it appeared to have like a, what he said is like a very muted rainbow, like coloration, like probably uh sig- you know, something that's signifying that some type of, Chemical reaction or something that happened to 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 change the chemical composition, perhaps of the arrowhead metal. itself. Mm. So, and they asked, you know, the the Air Force officers like, can we send this? So can we borrow this and and send it away for metallurgical uh, analysis? And so, Shrum was like, yes, of course. Like, yeah, take it. I, I want to know what I want to know what happened. Of course, you know, Shrum still wants to know what he had happened. Um, you know, this is just a year after, uh, it's like almost a year to the day. Uh, what happened? This is September 25th, uh, night, September twenty fifth, nineteen sixty four, that they had this meeting, and um, in September of nineteen sixty eight, you had James H. Aikman, who was the United States Air Force's Community Relations Division in Washington, uh, write a letter in which he stated that. A formal investigation was conducted by McKellen Air Force Base on September 25th, 1964. Mr. Shrum provided the Air Force with an arrow tip, but not with a complete arrow. The tip was not subjected to any laboratory analysis. It has been loaned to the University of Colorado UFO study group and has yet to been returned to Mr. Shrum. And then that's pretty much all you ever hear of that arrow. Well, It was never subjected to any laboratory analysis, so they didn't do anything. The Air Force didn't. They sent it to. They loaned it to the University of Colorado, and then just, you never really hear anything after there. that. Oh, huh. of that arrow. So, but he still had the other two arrows. Right. So he still had the other two arrows. And um, uh, in in addition to loaning the one to the Air Force, Shrum gave uh uh, like Shrum gave them also a annotated map, like the exact location of where this stuff had happened. So. Two or three weeks later, Shrum said that he went back with his brother, Bill, and his friends, Vincent Alvarez and Bill McAdams, who had been with him on the trip. And they returned to the exact scene where Shrum had said that he had had this encounter. And then when they got there, Shrum says that they discovered that it seemed to be that the ground had been combed over the entire area that he even said that he was able to pick out like rake marks that this entire area had just been completely you know wiped over and seemed to be you know all traces of what had happened were gone well he he's in touch with these two air force guys
5: they go up the ladder maybe you know so this is a a pretty singular account, but maybe they track this crap on radar or, or something. Maybe someone else, maybe they knew about it. And there's like, let's go get rid of any evidence. This guy said that he threw like 45 pieces of clothing out of a tree. Let's, uh, let's go r- rake those up. Let's go get rid of
2: everything and just
5: make it look like nothing ever happened. And this bury it. Mm-hmm.
2: And so with that, then that was Shrum's conclusion as well as that it seemed to be that people had had closed this because he also remarked that they had found uh, cigarette butts and some discarded cigarette packages
3: of cigarettes, butts, various brands, packages. And so Shrum's uh, conclusion
2: uh, was that the air force had kind of put together a task force hastily to try and cover with a specific purpose to cover up any remaining evidence
3: of why, why wouldn't they though though why wouldn't they like if he comes in and tells us he has this this account you think they would like it didn't strike me as that ridiculous that it, at this time that they wouldn't send someone they gave him a map why wouldn't they follow it up? Why wouldn't they comb the trees where they think yeah, to see if there's any like anything that comes up? So like all well hack and darts, it's the 60s, right? Or 70s. Uh, it, this didn't surprise me that much. I don't know if they were hastily trying to cover anything up or if they were looking seeing for if there artifacts was any evidence and they could recover
4: alien yeah. shit. That makes more sense because what are they going to say some random dude lighting shit on fire? Like go ahead tell your story dude. It's irrelevant. We don't care. Yeah. We want cool alien technology.
2: Yeah. So Shrum managed to actually, while they were out there as well, he found the other arrow. So like I said before, he had two arrows, but th- this is when he recovered like the so second he found, arrow.
4: So he found the second one when all the fucking G-Men ripping the place apart didn't find anything? It was in a bush. Yes. Uh, it was in a bush. That, that uh, might a bush. It was in a fucking Mizenza bush?
5: No, think about that's,
4: it though. After found th- it. That's what he said.
5: Think about it. Those guys who were sent out there from the Air Force—they're all hacking darts left and right. They're like, "Oh fuck, what are we doing
4: out here?" This is okay. They literally ripped the fucking ground up looking for shit. No,
3: they're raking the ground.
4: Yeah, on the tree by the tree.
3: By the tree. But if he missed, if he missed with that arrow and it went a couple hundred yards into a random bush, right? Only he, uh, only he would know the direction. That doesn't, uh, honestly, that is the least. Yeah, he would only know the direction in the
4: fucking arrow he shot while shitting his pants at a giant robot I mean, yeah, in the pitch I mean, black. In the
3: general direction. In but, the
4: fucking so, pitch black because he couldn't see anything but fucking too large. Eyes.
2: has the two arrows. Um, from the Cisco Grove encounter. And so he manages to loan both of these to the NICAP investigator who was kind of assigned to his case, Paul Cerny. And Paul Cerny takes those to for uh, a metallurgical analysis so they could be done. Now, um, the arrowheads were sent to the laboratory of Pennsylvania, uh, or a laboratory in Pennsylvania um, that was uh, NICAP was familiar with using. But Cerny would later explain that the Shrum's arrowhead were packed in cotton prior to being tested. And this is important because um, by the time they were removed from the packing, the strange traces of metal uh, that had uh, apparently because of the the way that the cotton packing had kind of surrounded the arrowheads. That strange metal had flaked off and fallen onto the cotton. So the lab accidentally threw away the cotton along with the metal flakes. So they uh, couldn't get; they didn't find anything mm-hmm. on the on the arrows
5: that's themselves. A tra- that's a tragic, <laughs> tragic end to the tale. So they got rid of the only arrowhead left that could have shown if the arrowhead hit the robot, sparked, left some residue whatever residue was on there is lost in the cotton wrapping from the packaging. Yeah.
2: But like I said, Donald Trump kind of sat on this story until 2007. Now there are previous iterations of the story that were published in a, like a, one or two publications, like UFO magazines, that didn't necessarily mention his name. And some of them actually had like a bit of embellishment, and some of them were kind of. Um, How do you I embellish think the kind of story kind of,
4: already? That's fucking crazy. <laughs> well,
2: they they kind of said that they 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 were either embellished or that they were. Um, some of the stories were had inaccuracies that were printed alongside and people kind of, you know, probably taking liberties with some of the story. So Shrum didn't actually put his story, his entire, uh, you know, his entire telling of the story, uh, down on paper until 2007. And then, you know, actually put his name onto it. And then they actually, and then they went in and, and, uh, Noe and Uriarte put together the book and then, you know, managed to interview, him so this is like <laughs> which is it's such a shame like it's actually a shame because it's like this is a really great story like it's a really great um I'm, I'm ufo unreal. encounter uh account and it's just like the the fact that it kind of stood it's kind of stays hidden and it's not lumped in with um you know betty and barney hill travis walton any of those things it's really it's like i find it it's fucking travesty man
5: yeah no it's a. Uh... It's a wild story, fun story, a lot of fun, a lot of fun to this re- just just put yourself in his shoes and you're up the tree, and there's fucking you know two humanoids, two robots, they're gassing you, they're trying to grab you out of the tree, you're shooting arrows at him it's fucking wild, wild, why make it up why would why forty was it almost forty years later he finally tells the story,
2: no, but he had told the story before, like, like the story four, yeah. had been printed like
3: he, it, it, he just it remained had, anonymous.
2: Yeah, he the, the most of the time like the story the story would end up being uh, the times it had been published or at least um you know retellings of the story as from you know, as people had heard it had been printed but it it left his name out of it and just would be kind of lumped in with other UFO encounters. But this one never it it never put, he never put his name to it until 2007. See, I like that about the story is that he was anonymous all that time. So whatever, like,
5: fame from doing a UFO circuit, doing all the radio shows and stuff, he didn't cash in on that his whole life, right? He like t- he finally came out when he's you know he's probably an old like really old man at this time, two thousand
4: seven. It's time to let everybody know how much of a fucking yeah, like
5: badass the book, I Like am. the
2: book that he he was interviewed to do, like that didn't get, again that didn't get published until two thousand eleven. So like, why even make it up?
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, why
2: <laughs> why make it up at this point?
3: Yeah, it's uh, (laughs) it doesn't really add up that this is like uh, you know we never shook his hand at any alien cons like you know you don't see you don't you don't you don't hear his name going in in convention circuits like this is not someone who you know (laughs) monetized this he didn't he didn't he didn't benefit from it Uh, if anything this tale tells you that he suffered greatly.
2: Yeah, from I had to the, dig for the, this one. Like, I had to yeah. dig for this encounter. It's not something that pops up, like, right off the bat. Like, you have to you have to go in and actually look for it and kind of know what you're looking for. And this one was hard to find. And I was like, why? <laughs> it's not
5: like a main staple in UFOlogy. Like, it's not something mm. people point to or it doesn't come up a lot. There's not a lot, a ton of content on it, on the internet. Yeah. Podcast, um, YouTube, anything. Not a lot, not a ton, but fun one. Can we get into final thoughts? Let's do it. Final thoughts.
3: Uh, all right. So like for looking into this one, you know, you kind of online, you, you find a, uh, you can easily find a bunch of people saying this guy's bullshitting. Um, they point to some in- inaccuracies of like, why didn't the robots just climb the tree? it's ridiculous. Right. He was just in a tree. They can traverse space and time, but they can't, you know, they're foiled by a, a man who climbs tree. This is stupid and all this stuff. And I, and You know, I I looked at that and I I really thought I went, you know, what? why make this up? Like, why make that story up? So then I I really kind of leaned into that. Like, I I do believe this guy. I do believe this account. I just think we have to look at the reason maybe why these um, extraterrestrials or or robots or whatever they may be, what they were doing there. And 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 what their purpose was in doing that, because maybe they didn't want to abduct this person. Um, maybe they had ulterior motives, and I, I, I didn't really come up with something. But after hearing, um, you know, the Manzanita talk, it does seem like they were there for that bush originally, and stumbling upon um, Donny up in the tree was just kind of happen, happened chance. So happen, um, happenstance,
4: happenstance, happen chance, that. happen chance, happy happen chance,
3: chance man? yeah, happy chance. So like, I, I believe them. I think this is a a really. Like well, like well told account of this person's terrible experience, um, and I, I, I happen to believe it. I, I believe that after he told the Air Force, appointed pointed it. I believe they sent people. Out. Man, this isn't that far off of Roswell days. You know what I mean? So like, I, I can't see that they wouldn't send a task force to go comb an area. To me, that's totally believable. They were just going looking. I don't think they were particularly going to hide hide stuff like kind of uh, Donald makes it seem. I think they were looking for stuff. And, you know, if it's just a couple year after they're taking rakes to the ground to kind of stir up the ground because shit falls, it grows. Right. So they're, they're just searching for uh, any kind of leftovers. Dan, I'll toss it over to you.
6: Uh
2: My final thoughts is <laughs> Andrew kind of touched on it originally before. My idea was that perhaps like these, cre- these, these extraterrestrials had been down there. Perhaps their primary objective was to kind of search uh, for, uh, unusual things. I, I remember it always sticks in my head. There is the, the director's cut. I can't, I don't think it's in the original cup. I think it's in like the director's cut of ET and it kind of Steven Spielberg kind of expanding on the idea or the concept that, um, you know, aliens come here for like very stuff, For us, that would be mundane. Like they come in, they're getting like pine cones and like pine cones are worth more than diamonds to them because essentially like you could find diamonds anywhere. Their entire planet's made out of diamonds and these kinds of things. But biological things, life things like that, those are might be more rare. So stuff like the, the, the comment that they make about the manzanita bush seems to be a lend a little bit more significance to that kind of interaction that they had with their environment. So perhaps they were looking for these manzanita, like, especially like a, a, a plant that's like, you can't find anywhere on earth. So it's like, that would be like, it's even more rare that to find, you know, a planet with life maybe like, and then find this plant or this, you know, this biologic organism that is exists only in one place on the entire planet. Mm. Like maybe that's what they were there for. And then like to to address like why their interest in Donnie Shrum is to be like, maybe they just saw him stuck in the tree and they were kind of like firemen with a cat. Yeah. They're like you're stuck in a tree, bud. Like we're trying, we're trying to help you down. Like you know, and then it's just a really angry cat, like getting <laughs> it's just really throwing shit you, down. You know? And you're
4: like, like we're trying, we're just trying to help you. Like, right, that just, makes come on, man. <laughs> the robot
3: at the first thought that maybe he got scared up there by the fire, so he puts out yep. the fire. Yep, he said,
2: like, come right? on, come on, come on, come on down, come on. And then he's just like, P-ting! and you're like,
3: oh man, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just acts of aggression in the tree
2: <laughs> and he's Boys. making coyote noises like yeah
3: they're like he's really unhappy
2: like we should really get mad. him down we should get him down he's, he's gonna hurt himself like we should get him down from there so that's what I think I think maybe they're just trying they're trying to be good uh, uh, interstellar Samaritans and they were trying to help him down from the tree that's I, my I like mind. that I like, that's that. My, I, I like that's that a lot the whole thing Andrew what do you think
4: uh, I mean this one was a lot of fun I like think it was a really cool story, and true. As far as not being like not climbing the tree, like Braden was saying, when people try to disprove it, like first of all, maybe they've never seen a tree before. Maybe this is the first time on the planet. They don't know what a fucking tree is, or maybe on their planet they don't they don't climb things. They've never had to. They don't know what the fuck. They don't know how to. They don't have the muscles, right? It's That's true. just something they don't know. Yeah, what
2: they're so squat because gravity is so strong on their on their.
4: It's just not even planet. a possibility. So for just them. don't climb stuff, yeah. right? Right, or maybe they just see it's putting themselves into too much danger. Potentially, I don't know. But for me, I just like it's tough because I'm I just with all this technology to get to Earth and it seems like they really fucking wanted this guy. I mean, fucking uh old Shermi here, Shrim, you know, he was hundred percent positive they wanted him. And I think if these fucking <laughs> people I think if they really wanted him Well maybe ninety nine point nine Well if they even with ninety nine point nine 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 nine, if they really wanted him, I feel like they would have got him. Right? I don't think they would have given up after the fucking fourth gas. Right, I just, I truly think that they would have got him. I think it's a really cool story. I think he thought he saw something. You know, was he eating bushes, uh, fucking berries off the bushes? Potentially, I don't know. Was he dreaming? I don't know. You know, did he wake up? Was there a little bit of, you know, a little bit of fucking paradoxal hypothermia? I and mean, that's why he stripped his clothes. And when he woke up and he passed out, that's why he was only wearing a t-shirt and jeans. Potentially, I don't know. But it was a fun fucking story.
5: Hell yeah. Yeah, I I would agree. I like I like the theory that so there these ETs are coming here for this manzanita tree. This is the, one of the most rare plant, plants on earth. Maybe what we think of like as fuel for interdimensional travel is not red mercury or some type of uranium. It's, it's, it's manzanita some bushes. it's some yeah, it's some manzanita sap that we don't even recognize as being a like highly valuable commodity, but maybe this plant only grows on a handful of planets in our galaxy. And (laughs) you know, that's why there's so many sightings in California, not just in this one in general, but just in California. So they're here. They are, I like that. They're excavating these plants or they're looking for these plants. They just by chance come across our boy here, shroom, shroom, and, and the rest, I'm not sure if they're fucking with them or what they're doing, but yeah, they can't climb. Cause we, we always depict like little ETs, like, especially as grays as like, they have no muscle. They're not going to be able to pull themselves up a tree. If you, if you just look at their body type, you're like, there's no way this guy can do a pull up. It's impossible. So maybe they just can't get up the tree. They're not really there for him. So they just kind of like, they fuck with him a bit. <laughs> like Dan said, like the cat up the tree, they fuck with them a bit. They try and gas him out. It doesn't work. They just leave him. They grab their men's and the needed sap and off they go. Cut their losses. Cut their losses and off mm-hmm. they go.
2: Yep.
5: And in, in, in doing this though... They're <laughs> like, fine, fuck you then. Fuck yeah. you. <laughs> and in doing this though, they leave this guy with a lifelong traumatic experience. He suffers PTSD. Uh, that's, that's what I think. I think he didn't profit. He didn't go right to the... He wasn't on all the shows, doing the <laughs> network... He didn't like. like he, he didn't do the
4: UFO tour. Like,
2: didn't,
5: he didn't do, do it. it didn't that, do so. a
4: tour. Guy falls asleep in the fucking tree. Sees a couple owls. Freaks out. Starts shooting arrows at him, Fucking doesn't know what's happening. Starts lighting shit on fire. Hey, and then this turns into his fucking Al Bundy fucking Polk High story, where he goes around telling everybody how much of a badass He is shooting arrows at <laughs> <and> fucking robots. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> then his family. He's been telling this story through his family for years. Right. He's been telling them like, yeah, this fucking happened. It's fucking crazy. Then one of his grandkids were like, you gotta write a book, man. Come on, Papa. Hey. Write a book. It's crazy. So he does.
5: And and it's hard to uh cooperate the his events specifically because he's the only one. But the other guy did see the lights that night, the UFO. Yeah.
3: Interesting. Interesting. He corroborates that.
5: So at least at least they there was something seen by more than one person from more than one location. I mean, it's his word versus what you think for his story. Well, if we but, could
4: see the lights, can we go back and look at the fucking star map and see if there's fucking special lights at that point in time or anything like that?
5: You're saying it's a, uh, atmospheric phenomenon.
4: Maybe. I don't hey, know.
5: I don't know, but it was Who a fun, knows? fun story. Fun to look into. If you haven't, there's a couple interviews out there. There's not a lot of good stuff, but there's a little bit, if you want to.
2: Yeah. Hashtag, I, I owe 100% look it up. Um, or 99.99% recommend the book the book's really good Go uh, it's book. got a huge appendices like got a bunch of interviews with Donald Trump himself and a um, lot of stuff in there it's real fun it's real good read it's real fun they're not paying me to say that they're <laughs> not they are not, <laughs> they
6: are not. Uh,
2: fun case though ah, Let's we gotta start wrapping this one up we
5: didn't discuss beforehand so maybe we'll have to skip it this week a theorite of the week we didn't it just, I mean, we completely forgot
4: no, we could give it to the well, ATI for those fucking sweet cards they sent all of us with cool stickers
5: but we, could, we could give it to this the ATI in general.
4: Yeah. yeah, I think so as a group. No, it
5: no, what's funny is the ATI sent cards. Dan, I have your card here. I had Dear. Andrew's card here. I didn't get a card. What? <laughs> <laughs> it got lost in the mail probably.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah probably. That's hilarious. But uh, yeah,
5: um, custom made ATI cards. The ATI. With stickers, they're cool. I think I finally put yeah. a firewall on the ATI. Hopefully, I just can keep them out of my computer here for a bit.
4: Well, maybe that's all we have to um, do is make them theorites of the week, and then they'll leave us. alone. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's what it is.
5: Maybe that'll that'll do it. <laughs> theorites of the week, theorites of the week are whoever the ATI may be. Let's give it to them. Um, the
3: other whoever thing I, I or just wanted, whatever to, or whatever. The other thing I wanted to announce is uh, just be, happen chance of uh, me being gone, and then you, you know uh, Zel having his offspring. Uh, we didn't get a chance to announce the Mitra winner, and that Mitra oh. winner is Anna Leblanc. Anna Leblanc. Uh, so Anna LeBlanc, I'll be in contact with you shortly. Is that for uh, the pumpkin prize to you? Uh, sorry, I didn't get an opportunity to do the big uh, wheel of uh, wheel, Spin the wheel. Of spins. Um, Spin for everyone, but uh, this last month's winner is Anna Leblanc. So and that was for the pumpkin carving contest yeah she did some awesome she did three turnips they looked
5: amazing oh that's cool well uh, do we had the pictures can we put them on socials sometime
3: yeah yeah I, I, they're on our stories right now
5: perfect go check them out alien theorist podcast on pretty much everything or at truth is out there on twitter
3: all right
5: end of the show everyone's favorite time If you're not supporting the show and you want access to the live stream ad free show early access all the other goodies patreon.com slash alien theorist podcast or find the link in the podcast description this week's newest supporters tail jimmy w willie b megan schmidt brennan also oh, a great name swamp Squatch. yeah full year pledge by natalie steins Austin Vincent and last but not least Kyle Weir thank you very much for supporting the show
3: and as we always say at the end of these things keep those eyes on the skies peace everybody Um, I was thrown off this whole case file by uh, looking at Dan with no glasses. I know, yeah, right? Get, yeah, it's weird. And you, get,
2: you realize like the 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 huge expanse that is between my yeah. eyes, like the <laughs> yeah. huge, like it's, it's got a huge fridge. It's, so, it's really weird.
3: Isn't it? Is it growing as we're? Where's me? Where's me out? I'm I'm like, like, wow. I like your brain is so big,
2: it's
5: got to make room for it. It splits your eyes apart. Yeah, your brain is splitting your skull in two, yeah. and your eyes and they, are separate. Yeah,
2: he is happy.
3: Some are your eyes wide or are mine narrow. I who knows anywhere. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, I got contacts.
5: What's so special about Hero Bread's Soft, fluffy and delicious breads, buns and tortillas. These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories and more
6: protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at hero.co.